So let me ask you a few questions. Are you the kind of person who needs to know what to expect of other people? Are you always trying to manage the situations that you face in life and all of their possible outcomes? Do you long for safety and security in your world for you and for the people you love? Are you the kind of person other people know that they can depend on? Well, if you answered yes to any of these questions, you might be a loyalist, a number six on the Enneagram personality profile. We are in the sixth week of the series looking at each of the nine different personality types that are part of the Enneagram. Now, we are all uniquely and wonderfully made by God. And each and every one of us in our dominant personality type reflects a part of who God is. And God, in the human form of Jesus Christ, is a perfect reflection of all of the best and healthy parts of each of these nine personality types. We are looking at to use the Enneagram as a tool to help us better understand ourselves. And when we understand ourselves better, both the healthy and the unhealthy parts of our personality, we can use that knowledge to grow healthier and to find the unique path for transformation of ourselves more and more into the likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. So today we're looking at personality type six called the loyalist. Sixes are reliable, hardworking, trustworthy, and responsible. They make great friends, great partners, great employees. They're not only loyal to people, but they are also loyal to beliefs and ideals. They will stand by a friend far longer than any of the other personality types, and they will fight for and tenaciously hang on to their strong beliefs. They are often more willing to fight for their beliefs, their family, and their friends than they are to fight for themselves. And while sixes are loyal and trustworthy, it will probably take a while for a six to build trust in another person. They're likely to test the waters just a bit to make sure that trust is going to be returned to them. But once that trust is there, they are loyal to a fault. They won't bail out because of just one disagreement. They don't quit easily. The reason sixes are so loyal to other people is because they don't want to be abandoned and left without support themselves. That is their most basic fear. And in addition to being alone or physically abandoned, sixes are afraid of being blamed for something or targeted as being at fault. And that can make a six very cautious about taking risks. Now, the core desire of the loyalist is to have security, guidance, and support. Six's basic fear is that they will be without these things. And they often doubt their own abilities, and they have a lack of self-confidence. Sixes can come to believe that they don't have what it takes, that they don't have the ability within themselves to handle the struggles that they face in life. And as a consequence, sixes look outside of themselves, to a person, 
a job, an authority figure, or a belief system for guidance and security. Now, at their healthiest, sixes are engaging and friendly and playful. They are truly likable and dependable people. They bring a sense of camaraderie and team building to groups that they are a part of. They are strongly committed and loyal to the people in their lives. And they are likely to treat others as equals, bringing a democratic approach to their dealings with people. Sixes like to connect with other people, and they forge long-lasting and loyal relationships. Sixes want to appear and to be confident and well-prepared. Sixes do not like surprises. They want to be prepared for whatever they might face. They will do their homework before a test or a work presentation. They will appreciate before a meeting having an agenda shared with them ahead of time so there aren't any surprises on it. And they will support their findings with facts, figures, charts, and graphs so you can trust their conclusions. Now sixes are at their worst and unhealthy when they don't know what to expect in a situation or when they are forced into circumstances for which they haven't had time to adequately prepare either mentally or emotionally. Sixes don't like to be controlled by other people and yet they also seek to avoid taking responsibility for anything that might make them come under fire from other people. Sixes long to minimize the risks in their lives, to reduce the amount of uncertainty in life. They will scan the horizon looking for anything and everything that could possibly go wrong, and then they will start to make contingency plans for each and every one of those situations. They say to themselves, if this happens, then I will do that. But if that other thing happens, then I will do this. Full disclosure, I'm a number six. And I can't tell you how often I do that very thing. I create a thousand hypothetical situations in my head, and I try and forecast the outcome of each one. And it's only been in recent years that I understand how much time that wastes. I mean, it's rare that any of those conclusions come true, right? For the loyalist, the core sin is anxiety. Every six has a committee in their head that is constantly shouting feedback and, and cautions at them. And this inner clamor causes so much confusion at times, anxiety and self-doubt, that they don't know what to decide and they don't make a decision. And so to feel safe and secure, they go outside of themselves to find support and guidance from a trusted person or a belief system. More than anything, sixes want to feel safe and secure. And as I said, I am a six. We've been making brief videos each week from a member of our staff. So take a look at this little video where I'm asked a few questions about how being a six affects me. Mark, another name for the type six, the loyalist, is the loyal skeptic. How does that fit you? To me, that means that um, when I 
um, commit to you, I'm going to commit 110%. But it's sometimes really hard for me to get to that point until I know that you are also in it for the long haul too. Um, so I might not trust a person until I've come to know them. I might test a person a little bit to see if they're going to really reciprocate in that loyalty. What is your deepest fear as a type six? As a loyalist, I think one of my deepest fears is that I won't be seen by others as, um, as competent, as dependable, as, um, as loyal, um, that others will somehow, that I won't measure up um, to that in, in the eyes of other people that I relate to. What is your greatest need? To be seen as dependable, for other people not to have any inkling whatsoever that if I say I'm going to do something, um, that they question whether or not I'm really going to come through. There's that sort of um, perfectionism, I think, in the loyalist, too. How does the type six loyalist impact your relationship with Christ? For me, um, it Oh, it just seems devastating to think that um, that I'm going to fail Christ, that I'm not going to be um, obedient to Christ, that Christ can't count on me. And I know there's times that that's absolutely going to be true because um, I'm going to fall short. We all do. Um, but the other side of that coin, too, is just to be able to rest on the promises that Christ, as a loyalist, is always loyal, that I can take him in his word, that he's faithful, that he never fails, he never um, falters, and that is so comforting and something for me as a follower um, to aspire to. Well, there are several people in the Bible who are loyalists, and today we're going to see how the Apostle Peter fits the description of a loyalist. Peter found his mission in his life through following Jesus. He worked hard and he fought, thought of himself as a loyal member of Jesus' inner group of disciples. He was loyal to the mission of Jesus and believed that he would defend it to the very end. But fear often drove his bad decisions. In Matthew 14, Jesus had just done the most amazing miracle. He fed 5,000 men plus women and children. And all he had to do that with was five loaves of bread and two fish. And what's even more miraculous than that is that there was so much food left over that it took 12 big baskets to hold all the leftover food. I can imagine how thrilling it would have been to witness that scene. But as the day came, began to come to a close, Jesus realized that there was yet more work to be done on the other side of the Sea of Galilee on the next day. And so let's pick up the passage from Matthew 14, beginning in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. 
When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and, and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, Peter was an experienced fisherman. He knew the Sea of Galilee like he knew the back of his hand. He knew how to read the sky and the sea, the wind and the waves. And at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus had called him to become his disciple while he was fishing one day. And right then and there, Peter dropped his fishing nets and followed Jesus. Now, he's out on the sea in the wee hours of the morning, after being buffeted by the wind and the waves all night long. Peter was probably assessing the situation, trying to figure out all of the things that might go wrong. Should we keep trying to make it across the lake against the wind? Or should we go back to where we started from and wait for calmer weather? What if the waves make this boat capsize and we all drown? And if this stormy situation wasn't anxiety-producing enough, suddenly there comes this figure of a man walking across the water, and someone yells out, It's a ghost! But once they knew it was Jesus, Peter's courage is restored. His leader has come, someone he trusts and really looks up to. And Peter wants to be with Jesus so bad to show Jesus his faith and loyalty to him that he asks Jesus to allow him to come to him on the water. And in yet another miracle, Jesus says, come. Peter steps out of the boat and becomes the only human in history to walk on water, fixing his gaze upon Jesus. And then just for a moment, he is distracted by the wind. Maybe his anxiety was beginning to rise up again, and he begins to sink. But he cries out to Jesus to save him. And Jesus the Savior does exactly that. He reached out his hand, and he caught Peter. One of the things that a number six needs to figure out is just what it is within them that produces their fear. Because until they can figure that out, they are prone to continually fall into bad habits, even destructive behavior, to try and mask and overcome their fear. Like Peter, we can learn to look to Jesus because Jesus is the master of all things, even the wind and the waves which produce the storms in our lives, the uncertainties in our relationships, the unknowns in our jobs and in our world, the pandemics, the cultural upheaval, all of those things. Jesus is Lord of it all. And just like the Sea of Galilee, 
Those things are under his feet. And he is in charge. Now the best thing that a six can do to grow in faith and and overcome their fears is to know that in Christ Jesus, they are absolutely safe and secure. Let's face it, it's a terrible thing to live in fear, isn't it? We convince ourselves that we don't have what it takes to make it, or we listen to other voices of negativity in our lives. Even Satan himself comes whispering in our ear that we don't matter, that we're not safe, that we're not secure. But Satan is the father of all lies, and we need to let the sound of the wind and the crash of the waves drown out his lies, to obliterate them, and listen only to the calming voice of our Lord Jesus, who calms all things with his powerful presence. Peter is coming to learn more about just who Jesus is. Some experiences with him are miraculous and amazing, and some are anxiety-producing and difficult. And sometimes, like this situation at sea, it can be all of those things wrapped up in one neat package. Another time, Jesus was teaching many of his followers about where he came from, heaven, and they were finding his teaching challenging and difficult, and Peter was there, too, And we read about this encounter with Jesus' teaching in John 6, 60 to 69. On hearing it, that is Jesus' teaching, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which one of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to pray, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. We can see Peter demonstrating his loyalty to Jesus. Other may turn away and stop following, but Peter is not going to be among them. He has left everything from his former way of life behind. He no longer fishes. He has a new profession to fish for people. He is with Jesus all the way, and it's not just because of his loyalty. Peter has made a strong profession of faith in Jesus. He has come to believe and to know that Jesus is the Holy One of God, God's Son, the Messiah. But of course, there's a lot more to Peter's story, isn't there? Near the end of Jesus' earthly life, he gathers the 12 disciples together with him in the upper room to celebrate his final Passover meal. 
And during this Last Supper, Jesus tells the group that they are all going to desert him. Matthew 26, verses 31 to 35. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Well, we know the outcome of this story. After Jesus is betrayed by Judas and arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is taken to be interrogated by the high priest and the Sanhedrin. And Peter is among the people in the crowd who has gathered in the high priest's courtyard. And three separate people ask Peter if he isn't a follower of Jesus. And each time, Peter denies even knowing Jesus. And somewhere, a rooster crows. And Peter realizing what he has just done, went outside and wept bitterly. His fear had gotten the best of him. He had betrayed Jesus, and how will he live with himself now? Because for a loyalist to betray a trusted relationship is the worst thing that you can do. Peter's remorse, his pain, his guilt, his embarrassment, must have been unbearable. He is filled with such shame that he went into hiding. But the darkness of Friday turned into the dazzling light of Easter Sunday, and Peter's mourning was turned into joy. But there is still some restoration that needs to happen. And the disciples are trying to figure out just what it is that they're supposed to do next. Yes, Jesus is alive again, but not quite like it was before. He seems to come and go a lot. He appears here, and then he disappears there. And so the disciples have gone to Galilee, where they have been told by Jesus that they will see him again. And many of them have gone back to their former profession. They're fishing again. And early one morning, after fishing all night long and catching nothing, Jesus shows up on the beach. But you see, the disciples don't know that it is him yet. And he calls out to them on the water, and he asks if they've caught anything yet. And despondently, they say, no, we haven't. And then Jesus tells them to put their net in the water on the opposite side of the boat, and they'll catch something which seems ridiculous, but they do it, and their net becomes overflowing with fish. And recognizing this miracle, Peter then recognized that it is Jesus on the beach, and filled with such exuberance, he jumps into the water and he swims to shore. And after breakfast, Jesus takes a minute to talk with Peter. This is John 21, 15 to 19. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to them, him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Jesus graciously allows Peter to repent and to receive forgiveness. He brings Peter back from his failure of denial and reminds him of his mission and his calling to be a shepherd to his people. Thirty years later, it would be Emperor Nero who would have Peter's hand stretched out and nailed to a cross upside down. But Peter, in that meantime, was transformed from a fearful man who denied to a proclaimer, a courageous proclaimer of the gospel, who remained loyal to Jesus to the very end. So how did that happen? And how do sixes grow in grace? How do they experience such spiritual transformation? Well, I believe it starts by acknowledging that we live in a world that is never going to feel safe and secure. And so the first thing that sixes have got to do is to start facing their fears and seeking to deal with them. What are you afraid of? What triggers your deepest fear? I can assure you this is probably not the external things in the world. This is usually something deep-seated and internal. And it's often a lie that the enemy planted there years ago and that somehow you ended up believing and internalizing it. And then all of the anxiety-producing stuff in the world just triggers it each and every time. I know for me, some inner healing prayer where you can talk with Jesus along with someone who's been trained to help you do that in a safe environment will safely reveal some of this to you, and it can be absolutely helpful. If you'd like to schedule a time of inner healing prayer with some people that have been trained to do that with you, call the church office, ask to speak with Laura Berger, and she'll schedule a time of inner healing prayer for you. Second, you can read and ponder Psalm 91 during your daily devotions. You can memorize a verse or two of it, that can help remind you how trustworthy and strong God is. I personally like the first two verses. Say them along with me. They should appear on the screen here. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and fortress, my God in whom I trust. 
And today's information page on the number six, it looks like this. You can pick one out if you're here in person on your way out, if you didn't get one on the way in. If you're worshiping at home today, go to our website, to the events page, click on this sermon series, What's My Number? And then you'll find some information for each one of the personality types. Inside here, it suggests praying Philippians 4, 4 through 9 as a prayer and as a reminder of how to pray through your anxiety and lift your prayers to God. I got to tell you, this is my favorite passage from Philippians, which is one of my favorite books in the New Testament. And I can't tell you the number of times that I have prayed this exact prayer, this exact passage when I've been anxious and how helpful it's been to me. Next, when you feel threatened, pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal why you're feeling that way and how God wants you to respond to it. I suggest cutting down on the amount of external news and social media that you ingest. I mean, it's one thing to be aware of what's going on in the world so you can react with wisdom. It's quite another thing to entirely allow your life to become wrapped up in it and consumed by it. Now, if you're here today and you're not a sick, but you know someone who is, if you live with them, for example, you can demonstrate love to them by providing the security that they need. You can listen to their fears. You can remind them of their past successes. You might hear them and think that they're just being a pessimist, but they think that they are just being a realist. So listen with those kinds of ears. Sixes you can work on being more trusting, and I include myself in that. There are probably some people in your life whom you can trust to, that you care about, and who are trustworthy. And if you don't have someone in your life like that now, go out intentionally and seek to find someone like that. Get close to that person. Allow yourself to do that. Because a community of people who can encourage you and who will allow you to be open and honest while at the same time challenging what you think and how you react will be very beneficial to you. Finally, and most importantly, the best thing that you can do is trust your life to God. Because God is 100% trustworthy and true to his word. He will be faithful to you in every situation. He will stick with you closer than a brother. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Yes, you will still have some difficulties in this life. Those do not magically disappear. But we sixes are looking for assurance that we are safe and secure. But you know what? God is the only one in whom you will ever find that assurance. Because God is in control of the universe and God is in control of your life, even when it may feel to you like he is not. He is reaching out to you. Whatever storm of life you are in right now, just like Peter reached his hand out, or like Jesus reached his hand out to Peter, will you grab a hold of it? Let's pray. Holy Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the creator of all things, that you created us and knew us before we were even formed in our mother's womb, 
that you created us each uniquely and uh, with absolute full potential to uh, live in this world, to be a part of your body, the body of Christ, the church in the world, meant to spread the good news to all people. Lord, help us as loyalists, and us no matter what our number is today, um, to grow in grace, to seek to be the healthiest aspects of ourselves, to reflect you more perfectly to the world so that the world doesn't see us, they see you living in us. And then help us draw all the world to you. We pray through Jesus Christ our Lord and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.